sort of continue on with some of the things that you might find interesting. And, and, I, yeah. and I deeply hope that you guys are able to have a conversation at some point. I think it would be uh, a beautiful experience for you guys to talk. But he, so he shares that he was actually part of the Water Guild, as I said, that was cutting the stones. But the, mm-hmm. the, the Air Guild and the Earth Guild could actually, they would go into a trance and they would form they would get into like psychic resonance with the stones and they mm-hmm. would be singing. And as they yep. would be singing and, and singing was pretty much part of all of the different guilds. They would use sound and sound healing, yep. sound medicine technology, sound technology through their own voice. And they would get into resonance with the stones and yep. they would actually then start to raise the octaves of how they were singing. And so they would mm-hmm. actually raise the weight as they raised the, so they would lift, it would make the stones lighter by yeah. how they would sing and how they would actually move the density of the stones through the octaves, which they would be, they would be elevating. And this was part of the technology that answers the question, well, how the hell did they get all these stones up in the first place? How did they move them all? How did, well, they had people who were part of this, you know, the air guild who could sing into the stone and yes. then move it, move it however they wanted and the water guild would cut the stones. Right. Again, it makes perfect sense to me. There are a number of ancient, Egyptian traditions that, that speak of these massive stones being lifted by the priests chanting, um, and and it's not an it's not an accident that singing is also a hugely important part of the ayahuasca journey, particularly in the Amazon. The, the Icaros that, uh, that that the shamans sing there uh, guide the journey. They're like a road through that realm. So as you hear something like that. And also I'll just finish with, uh, with the last bit of the story that I think you might find interesting. There's mm-hmm. tales in many of the different mythologies of them being giants, these members of these other civilizations. He said, well, yes, we, were, we had these spiritual technologies and our consciousness was giant. They've been using psychedelic plant medicines and they've been evolving, but they've also, they also had different levels of nutrition. They had different mm-hmm. levels of medicine. And just like you see in a lot of cultures who've had that, who've had different access to protein and different access to, they were just large, they were actually larger, mm-hmm. you know, and they lived a lot longer. You know, their lifespan was 80 to 100 years, just like ours. And, you know, mm-hmm. they were healthy and, and strong and robust. And they had this kind of spiritual brass. So they were giants in a way. They lived several times as long. And they were, you know, it was just at the advancements of, of the culture in that way. Intellectual certainly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And slightly physically larger. And then, yeah. and as they went around and they went around to these different, you know, as they re-civilized, kind of the re, uh, repopulated and dispersed around the world, eventually, like the question is, all right, what happened to them? Well, they just started, you know, they started breeding and, and kind of interbreeding with all the local populations until eventually... Populations, yeah. That's yeah. it, and that's and that's really how it. That's really how it went. They didn't decide to just we're only gonna, you know, sleep with each other like the you know like the Targaryens or something from Game of Thrones. You know, it's yeah. like they just dispersed and they made love to all of the people of the different lands and and, and the DNA was and they brought with them knowledge and that knowledge filtered down and we can see evidence yep. of it still, ex- still extant in the world today and and uh, massively denied by mainstream science. Um, but there is a heritage that the, the whole human race has has received, I believe, from yeah. from a lost civilization of prehistory. And I think Atlantis is uh, is a really good name for that for that lost civilization because fundamentally it does come to us from Plato, the the the, the earliest surviving account of it. And uh, I've seen 
academics twist themselves into knots trying to dismiss Plato's account. They can, they can respect him in all other ways, but the moment he starts talking about a lost civilization, he can't possibly be talking about something real. Right. Even though he repeats many times that this is a true story based on facts, that's ignored and they say he's trying to set up some kind of political model or make some sort of philosophical point, anything rather than admit that he's reporting true history. Mm. Yeah, indeed. So when you hear that, when you hear it, you've been to so you've been to more of these sacred sites than I ever have. But I've been to some of the ones down in Peru, and mm -hmm. and they're un, it's unbelievably stunning the stonework that that's there. So when you hear when you hear this account, you know from Matthias of the way that they actually changed the weight of the stones, they still had to move them. They couldn't just like totally levitate them telekinesis with their mind. They still had to move them, but they could change the weight of them so that they were much easier to move by singing into resonance with them. And they could cut them with water instead of actually having to use chisels and things. Does this, does this make sense from what you've seen on the ground and what you've been able to put your hand on these stones and see all over the world? It makes, it makes perfect sense to me. Of course, in saying that, I know that I'm handing a hostage to fortune and giving my critics a stick to beat me with. Um, because, because, of course, to speak of anything like telekinesis or, or telepathic powers um, is regarded by the, uh, the, the academy today as complete nonsense. Uh, and it's often used, actually. I, in my books, I probably don't devote more than a, a page across thousands of pages to that speculation. Uh, that, their, that their technology was very different from ours, that it was based on latent faculties of the human mind that have, that have fallen into, that have, that have re relapsed in our civilization today, but that were highly prominent in the, in, in the past, and that the human mind is capable uh, of, of far more than we give it credit for. It doesn't have to be mediated through machines uh, or leverage in the way that it is in our society. The human mind can have a direct impact uh, on physical reality. Uh, and you mentioned Rupert Sheldrake earlier, a, a man for whom I have deepest respect. Uh, Rupert is, is a real scientist, but he's a rebel. He's stood out mm -hmm. against the, the academy. He stood out and presented solid scientific evidence, for example, for telepathy, uh, which, which is very difficult to refute. And how do they refute it? They just ignore him and sneer at him and pour scorn upon him. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of Rupert that he's just kept on kept on presenting the evidence, sticking with the facts and, and pushing it in their faces to the point where it becomes ridiculous to, to, to resist it. Um, you know, we, we've, we've all had experiences of telepathy and it isn't, uh, it isn't absurd to suggest that that ability could be magnified with training and with focus mm -hmm. upon it. But it's difficult for it to be magnified in a society that despises such ideas, which is our society today. It's difficult for several reasons, according to Matthias, as I've asked Matthias, like, well, could, could we do this now with the proper training? And what he's saying is very much, you know, in accord with the ideas that Rupert kind of proposes of this morphic resonance field. But he talks about this field of belief, that there's yeah. actually a field of belief that's necessary to actually hold the possibility of somebody able to do this. Now, of course, the critics and skeptics will say, oh, of course, that's a convenient excuse. But fundamentally, you know, the, the, the interconnectivity between belief and consciousness and reality in the yeah. way that even, even in the quantum realms now that, you know, like I think it was um, Hoffman who's talking about like local realism is being challenged. The idea that actually our observation of something 
is actually necessary for that thing to actually be what it actually is. And this is the, yeah. it goes, it builds upon the observer effect in quantum mechanics. And of course, this is beyond my, beyond my pay grade. It's one of the exciting ways where there's a nexus with, uh, with psychedelic experiences of other realms and quantum physics, uh, recognizing the, the, the probability of, of parallel realms, parallel universes. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, what quantum physics hasn't explored yet, it hasn't got into yet, is how do we, how do we explore and map those realms? And maybe psychedelics are the answer. I, you know, spiritual cartography. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. into it. But uh, yeah. So ultimately, what he's saying is that the the field of belief, the collective beliefs, all of the observations that believe that this is possible or not, that has to be softened in order to and, and allow for the possibility for this to emerge. And I actually think that this is going to return in our future as more and more people become open to these ideas. I think we're actually in our lifetimes going to see the return of what we would now call magic. But what yeah. they just what they just did back then as this was a yeah. part of the this was a part of the laws of their reality yeah. that they lived in. And we would call it magic now, but it will become just part of the part of the natural order of things. Well, and we I could believe say that'll magic, come in our lifetimes. Magic is just science we don't understand. Yeah, well said. Yeah, well said. Well said. And it's another one of those words that that are sneered at by by the the academy. Any any notion of magic is 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 dismissed. Uh, but that's also dismissing human potential uh, in 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 all sorts of ways. So yeah, Matthias sounds like he's had some very important and, and very valuable experiences. I shall definitely learn more about. Yeah, him. happy to happy to connect you guys. Or maybe if you uh, if you do make it down here to Austin, we could all get on a podcast together and I can just sit back and, and smile as, uh, as you guys <laughs> tell stories about, tell stories about the ancient past. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm coming to it from a, from a different point of view. I, I don't personally have, um, 